Welcome to the Media Insider, the podcast which gives you the secrets on how to get into the media. Every episode, I interview a commissioning editor or producer about exactly what stories and interviews they commission for their pages or programme and how you can pitch to them. I'm your host, Helen Croydon. I'm an author, a former journalist, and now I run a small PR practice called ThoughtLeadershipPR.com, helping business leaders, academics, entrepreneurs, and public figures become better known as experts in their field. If you like this podcast, please tell your colleagues, share it on social media. That's how others find it. Welcome to the next edition of the Media Insider Podcast. So this episode, I'm with Scott Carey. He's group editor of IDG, B2B's collection of publications. The main ones include Computer World, Tech World, CIO, and a few others, which we'll go into later. Before that, Scott was a staff writer on various business and travel publications. Thanks for joining me, Scott. Thank you. So IDG yes. has an array of publications too many for us to go into each mm-hmm. in in detail on this podcast so can you just give us a rough top line overview first of the difference with the b2b and the b2c and then what you specifically oversee yeah so i look after um our stable of b2b publications they are broadly catering to anyone that is working in um the technology or the it industry and as you mentioned with the brands we kind of uh, slice that up mainly by uh, kind of seniority. So CIO obviously is catering to the most professional IT professionals, the most senior IT professionals mm-hmm. even in um, the UK. CSO similar, but for security. And then Computer World is kind of that middle layer of anyone working, you know, uh, in the IT sector. And then Tech World is more aimed at um, startups, entrepreneurs, developers, anyone um, kind of earlier on in their career or working over in the edges. Um, so that's broadly how we divide it up. And then we also in the US have two publications, Network World and Info World. Um, again, that's just a, another kind of layer of depth on certain areas of the industry whether you're working in networking for Network World um, or you're working with data. Um, so you're a data scientist working in AI machine learning on InfoWorld. Right, okay. And what's the circulation of your your flagship? Yeah, so it, you know, it varies from uh, kind of up at 3 million uh, page views a month um, all the way down to uh, maybe kind of a quarter of that for something like CIO, which is a lot more targeted audience. You know, there's only so many people in that sort of position um, so uh, it, it really varies depending on the publication. That's pretty big numbers, three million. It's not bad. Is We're that, doing okay. That, would that be Computer World? Tech World is our biggest tech, uh, our biggest traffic driver. Is it? It is. And, and that's just UK, isn't it? It is just UK. Right. Yeah. Okay. And where's Computer World is is international. Yeah, it's very very international. We're um, at the moment kind of centralising those sites. So Computer World at the moment, if you go on now, um, you will hit a UK landing page. But all of those kind of geographies are um, within the same domain. So it's computerworld.com/slash. UK, Germany, India, right, etc. Yeah, got it. Okay, now you are group editor of these B two B publications. So, just tell me what what are the regular pages or slots or formats, perhaps if there are any, yeah. that you try to fill? Yeah. So the way we like to think about the makeup of our team and the way that we cover the industry across those titles is people have um, very defined beats and expertise areas um, and then what they do is they'll traverse the the sites so um, I'll give you an example my colleague Hannah Williams she covers um, networking and 5g development um, in the UK specifically and what that means is that most of her work will end up 
sitting on something like Network World because she's really in the weeds talking about, you know, how 5G is getting rolled out across the UK. You know, what's the impact of this Huawei uh, decision on the industry here? Stuff like that. But then also, if there was to be, you know, the opportunity to interview a CIO from a big telco who was, you know, worrying about these issues, um, she would take on that interview and that would sit on CIO. So they're not wedded to a site, they're wedded to a beat. And that's the way we think about the rest of the team. Um, It's, you know, someone will be uh, the real expert on data and regulation and AI. Myself, I look after uh, cloud computing, um, which obviously kind of spreads across the whole the whole batch of, of titles um, and then also uh, I have kind of a keen interest in the financial services industry as an industry obviously very key to the UK um, and also the growth of fintech here so that that kind of dovetails quite nicely. Okay so each of the writers are interested in hearing about different formats interviews op-eds that kind of stuff. But Everyone does a bit of everything. Yeah got it okay now how is the content put together so you've got all these writers that sit across all these different uh, beats yeah. is there a specific planning meeting because i've worked in consumer media i haven't worked in b2b media so how does that commissioning process wheel work yeah i mean it's changed a huge amount in the last year i mean as i mentioned earlier some of these sites now are more centralized so that means that we work with our colleagues in the u.s a lot more now so there'll be an editor-in-chief of each of those publications in the u.s and what we'll do is we'll have a global team of writers who will pitch in ideas to that editor-in-chief Whereas in the old world, when we were very much more hived off as a UK B2B uh, organization, all the pitches would kind of flow through me and we would have a weekly editorial meeting where we would discuss what's in the news, what people are, what events people are attending this week, what interviews they have. We would talk about angles, treatments, uh, formats, um, and, and just really get that week's kind of content uh, lined up. And we tend to work to a fortnightly kind of schedule. Um, so we'll have a good idea of what people are going to be writing about for the next fortnight uh, and then we'll kind of revisit on a weekly basis to course correct and just see how we're getting on with that. And because you're online, mm. is there a particular formula for how many articles you publish a day? Is there a quota for that? In the old world, when it was just us here in the UK, we wanted to publish one piece on each uh, site a day. Right Now, because we can share... Uh, stories from our US colleagues that might be you know relevant to our audience we that pressure's kind of eased off and we can be a little bit more selective what we're looking towards is something like three a week so it's more like um, you know a Monday or Wednesday or a Friday cadence um, that means people are freed up to go into a lot more depth um, we, we're a features led organization we don't really write about news we might react to the news but we won't write the news um so that that's where people are at the moment it's roughly two or three a week yeah so how do you decide what are you do you look at what people are searching for Mm. or do you look at what's in the news yeah so it 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 really depends on the editor as an editor myself i'm a little bit more of a gut feel editor than an analytics editor maybe to the chagrin of my (laughs) editor-in-chief who would probably like me to be a little bit more into the analytics side of things It, it really is yeah, that combination of um, what's going on in the world, uh, you know, what uh, regulations are coming through, what's making news, how can we make that relevant for our audience? But then also, once we've uh, gone through that process, going back and looking at what performed well, what people actually okay. got out of it. And yeah. then when it comes up again in the future, we know what treatment works well, what people are interested in, what people are less interested in. And because we're an online media organization, it's just a constant course correct. It's, you know, it's very fluid the way that we work. 
Okay, that's that's interesting. Mm. To you, as an editor, and this, I know this question is going to sound a little bit like how long is a piece of string, <laughs> but what makes a good story and what, make, you know, what makes you say yes to a pitch? Yeah, it's funny. I've been interviewing writers this week because we've got an, an opening. So I've been asking a lot of oh, interviewees this question um, because I think it's really telling, you know, how much they understand uh, our publications and our audience, which is obviously vital um, if you want to work here. But the, the the correct answer, and I can give it away now because we're not interviewing anyone else, <laughs> um, is making it like very, very relevant uh, to that audience in terms of giving them insight into the impact of something on their job. It's IT professionals, so they want a certain level of depth. They want a certain level of kind of technical understanding. They're not expecting us to know how to code Python or anything like that, but they want to know X thing has happened. How is that going to impact the way that I work? So GDPR is a great example. What do I actually need to do from a technical perspective now to be on the right side of GDPR? How can I start to take advantage of that uh, regulation in terms of getting everything in order in my shop? And then what's the next step from there? So that, from our perspective, goes all the way through those layers because you've got the CIO who needs to set the agenda there. But then you've also got the IT people who actually need to do the the hard yards in terms of getting that stuff done. So it really is that fine-tuned kind of relevance to the audience and making sure that we aren't kind of parroting the vendors or just re like regurgitating the marketing or just using a case study because you know it's it looks good on the vendor it's really how what can our audience learn from this um, so it's really fine-tuning on what their challenges are what the um, business uh, case for doing x is um, and, and making sure that we're always thinking like our audience or like an IT professional. Okay, that is, that's a great answer. Yeah. And because your audience, you say it's IT professionals and it's all levels, so right yeah. up to CIO, right, you know, up to suite, C-suite, yeah. right down to the person on the floor. Yeah, and you're, of course, fine-tuning depending on who that audience is in terms of what angle they're coming from. So, like, careers content, for an example, as an example is, you know, what are the hot skills in the market right now? What uh, something like blockchain? You know, do do I need someone in my organisation that can code blockchain? And from a CIO perspective, it's very much thinking, oh yeah, do I need that skill in this building? And how do I find them? And how much are they going to cost? But then you can also flip that to someone who maybe is looking for a change in their career and they're looking for the hot new technology area. And how can I make my CV more appealing and earn more money? So it's just putting yourself in the shoes of your audience a yeah. lot that's fascinating insight and lots of prs or other <laughs> professionals who pitch to you can probably use that advice as well so i'm going to ask you a bit about that now mm. you must receive loads of pitches yes. focus on the positive first mm. before the negative so what is it in a pitch or how can you use content that is pitched to you yeah it's when um it's when prs uh, understand exactly what I just said it's when they understand that uh, we aren't going to cover something just because it's happened it's more about why is this important to our audience and what the good PRs understand is that uh, that means that we need to talk to the company themselves or the end user themselves we need to hear from them a little bit more of the warts and all like how this kind of process went you know what were the challenges what did you achieve uh what were the kind of the stumbling blocks how did you get through them things like that so an example is like the Heathrow IT outage that happened on Sunday we wouldn't cover the fact that Heathrow were having IT issues even though we're an IT publication what we would need 
to make that story worthwhile for us is we would need to talk to someone who went through that process and tell us, you know, what went wrong? How did you fix it? How can you improve things in the future? Uh, we didn't get that story because they didn't want to talk to us, but that's fine. Uh, we're okay with that. That's what we need to kind of cover a story like yeah. that. Yeah. And are there opportunities for what I call thought leadership, people writing opinion pieces for you um, or giving you research that you could turn into a story? Is there scope for that? So that's the question I get asked the most. Uh, and um, it's become a lot easier for me to answer it because the answer is just no. Um, we don't cover any... Uh, we don't take any contributed articles or contributed research, right. infographics, opinion pieces, um, unless they are sponsored. So unless they go through what we here call our services team, um, and then we will work with them to tailor that for our audience. Um, and that obviously comes with a cost. So that whole uh, unpaid contributed article model is, is just gone from IDG altogether. Interesting. Do you think that's a model that's going out in other across other B2B publications? It would make our lives a lot easier because it would mean that uh, there would be a, you know, a solid line in the sand there in terms of what we cover editorially and what we don't cover editorially. Uh, unfortunately, that's not the case. The industry, uh, there's a variation and that's why we still get pitched this stuff because there are publications that are willing to still publish uh, articles of that kind. I feel like our primary rivals are aligned with us on this. Um, there's very much a, a clear line between sponsored and non-sponsored. But until everyone kind of does that, there will always be that scope to pitch those ideas. But, you know, we just have to be as, as straight as possible when, when people ask us and just say no. Yeah, okay. I, I didn't know that, um, that because that is the most common uh, bit of PR that people are, seem to be pitching lately. Have you noticed any trends in pitching, possibly that or any others, in terms of what PRs or members of the public are actually suggesting to you? I wouldn't say anything's kind of changed drastically. I do feel like um, some organisations have got a lot better at offering reactive comment. Reactive comment can often be quite difficult to get hold of, but we now, because we're not in the news business, we're in the news analysis business, and a, a really kind of thoughtful, targeted, useful piece of reactive comment to something is, is hugely beneficial to us. So, for example, um, when the government announced their new online harms white paper. Um, we wouldn't cover the announcement of that, but what we're really interested in is what are the implications here? What do organisations that uh, carry content, what do they have to do to, to be on the right side of this? And there'll be some useful comment from organisations that provide services like that. And obviously it's our job to make sure that we're not just kind of pitching their services, but they're actually offering something useful. Um, and then also like legal representatives talking about what the legal implications are. So people have got better at that definitely um, and they are aware that if they just give us a kind of boilerplate response to everything that they're probably going to end up getting blacklisted because the, the same you know every time there's an IT outage you'll get the odd vendor here that just says oh yeah this happens if you don't do x it needs to be a little bit more thoughtful and it needs to be fast um, but yeah I think it's just I do feel for my colleagues in PR I just think it's getting harder and harder to to write a good pitch for people now yeah yeah because how many do you get a day roughly it's probably i probably get a dozen to 20 depending on the day and that varies from you know thoughtful ones to to less thoughtful ones um and i do get less press releases now maybe i've just sorted out my filters um but yeah it's about that many yeah okay and what are your pitching niggles well my main pitching niggle is not taking my feedback on boards 
I don't think that everyone in my industry is as kind of forthright with feedback as I am uh, in terms of I will explain generally why this isn't the right fit for us, what we would need to make it a story for us. They'll go back and they'll talk to their client about it and then they'll often come back to us and say, we can or we can't do this for X reason. Great. In the future, we now know where the line is and the pitch is going to be better in my mind. My main pitching niggle is when that doesn't happen. I'd get the same pitch again the next time and I have to explain again what the reasons are. So the good PRs in my mind are the ones that understand what we need and they either offer it to us straight away or they explain straight away why that might be tricky and we can have a conversation about it. So, you know, for example, oh, the client is available, but they can only do written Q&A. Right. We don't love that. But we could probably, you know, if the story's strong enough, we'll probably discuss it. Yeah. Um, and it opens up that discussion um, because they know what's going on with us. Whereas if I get something that is, you know, completely wide of the mark and they ha- and I have to kind of do all the work and the story isn't that strong, it's yeah. more likely that it's going to go to the bottom of the pile. And have you got any examples of either particularly good or particularly horrifying or funny pitches that stand out in your mind right now? I mean, our Slack channel does get filled with some of the kind of just some of the pitches that just kind of creep through our uh, our filters for some reason. And they'll often be related to some kind of uh, C-list celebrity who's shilling a blockchain um, or like is the face of a new blockchain startup or something like that. I think Danny Murphy was promoting a new blockchain startup for ex-footballers the other day. And that was one of the weirder uh, kind of pitches we've got. Yeah, oh, it's interesting. When I worked at ITN, we had a similar, you know, folder where we put um, laughable pitches. It's awful, really. These are the things that newsrooms do. It's the thing that gets you through the day, though, isn't it? <laughs> um, are there any um, great stories that you've ran recently that have come as a result of um, someone doesn't necessarily have to be a PR, but just something that, you know, was presented to you in a really good way? Yeah, this was an example of kind of putting in uh, some extra work on both my side and on the PR side, but there was a, uh, a PR that came through and they said, we've got this customer available and they are doing, um, they're basically roll and I'm going to get a little bit techie here, but they're rolling out, um, containers and Kubernetes across their organization. This is like really advanced kind of stuff that you would never see in a bank or you would see it at somewhere like Netflix or Google, but you would never, um, okay. typically see it at a bank. I might, you know, my ears brick up. I think that's super interesting. I'd love to talk to them. Um, but then uh, my editor comes back and it's like, oh, yes, this is great. But we want to do, you know, a broader piece about different examples of this. So for me, it's like, wow, OK, I've got to go away and not only find one of these, you know, niche examples, but I've got to go out and find three. And what I do is I start to pull that PR into that process and they start to suggest right. other reference customers that they have who might be available, who I might be able to contact. Um, and they really helped me get that story over the line. So it was a lot more work, but it was an example of where PR and um, journalists can actually work together oh, and get the right result right. in the end. That's good to hear. Yeah, yeah we've talked about PRs. We haven't uh, mentioned freelancers. Do mm. you use a lot of freelancers? We don't at present. Um, our US colleagues do. Um, and the reason where we do lean on freelancers, especially in our sector, is people are, uh, kind of have a lot of expertise. Um, so where we have gaps in our knowledge around something like very techy, like chip design or data centers or you know things that we don't have enough expertise to write about ourselves that's where we'll lean on a freelancer often and uh, in the u.s we have a lot of kind of columnists that write only about windows or they write only about data centers or only about blockchain 
and that is a hugely useful resource for us and then we also use them a lot on um on the services side like i mentioned earlier when we're doing paid uh, work so white papers okay. um, and research uh, often will lean on kind of expert freelancers for that uh, where we have a gap internally in our knowledge um, yeah. it's much better for us to just kind of uh, swallow the cost and pay for someone who knows it than to try and muddle it ourselves so and do you get freelancers um pitching you if they don't know that you don't use freelancers you know what we don't actually i think because idg for a long time in the uk has not had a freelance budget i think the freelancers have all kind of grown weary of pitching us um (laughs) so every now and then i'll get the odd pitch for like a blog post on tech world more often than not but yeah we don't get a huge amount of freelancers coming to us so it's more when we need one we it's a case of outreach for us yeah uh, so just one um final topic i wanted to cover is um you often have series i notice mm. series like you've got one on um, new vcs at the yes. moment vcs what vc looks like in the uk yes how can we find out what series or what themes that you're going to run in the future yeah i think um in in the most broad sense if i was to advise anyone on kind of uh working with idg it's really working out who owns that beat so if you're looking to pitch something um on uh, as you mentioned diversity and inclusion in the vc sector uh you know you can see from previous coverage that myself and hannah have covered that it's really you know we're, we're, we're friendly you know we don't buy it if you email us and ask us if we're running it again or if we're running anything similar um we'll, we'll definitely tell you about it and there's have been a lot of stories that we've got out of that um for example last week when i was uh starting this changing face um of uk vc series for the second time um i started getting a little bit more outreach from a lot of the vc funds that were saying have you thought okay. about this from the other angle where when what we do with our uh portfolio companies in terms of promoting diversity and inclusion in their portfolio and i was like no i've not thought of that so then we started all working together and i wrote a supplementary piece about that and then in terms of other series, um, it's, it's, yeah, it's really knowing who kind of owns that beat and asking them what they're up to because it, it's, it's fluid and, that, and it is difficult. And I know, again, that makes life you know, more difficult. You have to do the kind of legwork to understand who does what and get in touch with them. But we're, we're all pretty available and we all yeah. tend to kind of respond. And um, you list those beats and those journalists on your website, don't you? Yeah, yeah. So, it's, it's, you know, it's, it, the author of that piece is there and you can click through and you can see everything they've written and it will become very apparent uh, what they're interested in and what they're not interested in. Uh, they're, they're pretty kind of neatly defined beats. So if it's outside of that remit, it's probably not a goer. In B2B tech in particular, it's there's a small stable of publications now. Um, so there is good reason to be more targeted. Hitting, you know, the... 12 or so publications that are out there i don't really see the benefit um from the pr's perspective in trying to like spray and pray across that uh stable because there are not that many to, to hit now so you, you can kind of be more targeted but then on our b2c side it's you know it's completely different yeah, they are way more prolific uh they're a bigger team they're um less specialized uh, so I think that old model is probably like really the only model there in terms of getting your products in front of them. Um, mm. But on B2B, yeah, we're just, you know, we're so heads down and in our own little world that yeah. the only way to get into that world is to kind of come say hello and, and explain right. where, where you kind of slot in. Do the B2Cs, do they work on that beat model? 
They don't, no. So, I mean, some people are, you know, some people uh, you can see from their job titles will be covering video games, some will be covering phones, um, and some will be covering kind of culture. Um, but they, they, they definitely are a lot more kind of jack of all trades on that side, um, just because of the amount of work that they get through and the amount of content that they, uh, they produce, um, they, uh, definitely work a lot more in that way. Whereas on B2B, there is an expectation that you are very deep in your world in, in terms of writing for that audience. Not to say that my B2C colleagues, you know, aren't experts in what they do, um, but they, they tend to be able to kind of traverse a few more technology areas um, than we can, just because we have to get a little bit more in the weeds. Scott Kerry, thanks so much for sharing your insights. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Media Insider. Please share this podcast or rate it on your podcast app. That's how others find it. If you're keen to get into the media or get your message and expertise more widely known, then visit thoughtleadershippr.com and see how I could help. Or find me on Twitter. Just search Helen Croydon. Good luck with your pitching.